Welcome to the INS Nerds Podcast. It might seem crazy what I'm about to say. The only recurring podcast dedicated to insurance careers, insurtech startups, and insurance current events. Your hosts are Carly Burnham, Tony Kanyas, and Nick Lamparelli. You can find all of our podcasts, show notes, and insurance-related content at insnerds.com. Now, on to the show. If you feel like a room without a roof, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Attachment Point. And that's right, you heard that name right. This is the Attachment Point podcast and INS Nerds podcast. And this is our first time recording with the, with the new podcast name. Uh, and we're very excited to be here. So today, uh, this is your host, Tony Canyas. And we have a full staff that I am really, really excited. I know, I know Tony's always excited, but I am particularly excited today. We have uh, our usual uh, Nick Lamparelli. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Tony. I'm excited to be here. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Nick's been working overtime uh, so much, so much so that we've been posting uh, the other podcast, Provost in Risk. We've been posting double episodes because he's been recording too many interviews, and yeah, we don't we, want them to get old. We, we so. got one. We got one more double header coming. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And, and then we have uh, our. Our usual, but sometimes disappearing for months at a time, Carly Burnham. Carly <laughs> Burnham. Burnham. Hi, Carly, Tony. How, how are day. you? I'm fantastic, wonderful. Fantastic. And I, this is the reason I am super excited today. We have uh, my other best friend, uh, the one of, one of the main intellectual fathers of, of INS Nerds, uh, Andrew Holland. Andrew, how are you today? I'm doing well. I appreciate the very um, wonderful uh, reception and introduction. Does, does so, that make him uh, like the uh, godfather? Uh, pretty much, pretty much. Uh, I would say. So, so, so uh, we have been playing recently, and I think this is the first time I say it publicly, but we have been playing with the idea that, that, that Tony is the heart of INS Nerd, Carly is the brain, Nick is the consigliere. Uh, so yeah, that would the Godfather is is definitely you would definitely qualify. Uh, you're a big star. But anyways, before I take it to the mattresses. <laughs> before I let you introduce yourself, I want to explain a little bit. So so so, uh, uh, Carly, uh, myself, and and Andrew worked together at Nationwide for 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 a few years in different roles, and and that's what I, where I met both of them. And uh, while Carly was uh, chained away in, in the call center area. Uh, trying to come up for breath. Andrew and I had a little more cushy jobs, and we would take literally a and go walk the skywalks uh, in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, well, even if it was winter, because it's protected, and we would basically fix the world. We would discuss insurance nationwide and, and millennials and everything else for hours on end, probably for. And those discussions very much led to the first 50 articles that INS search. So he's, he, I, I've been trying to get him more involved for a long time, and, and he's been too busy uh, or, or too afraid of, of, of mixing his brand too much with mine, like, like Carly has done, uh, <laughs> which is risky. Well, 
also uh, also engaged uh, <laughs> in the industry with my current employer with uh, you know just other things going on too. Okay, so 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 Andrew, go ahead, go ahead and tell us a little bit a little bit of, of your insurance story. Just kind of kind of like the two minute summary. Sure, sure, you bet. Well, I started my career in 2005. Um, I actually had a journalism degree and political science uh, double major from Iowa State University. And I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. Um, as many, many, many people who end up in insurance, uh, I'm sure can relate to. Um, I actually worked at a small town newspaper for about six weeks and I got my first student loan statement back and I took a look at what I owed every month and I thought there is <laughs> no possible way for uh, $10 an hour, $9 an hour, whatever I was making at the time, there's no possible way I will have health insurance, uh, put a roof over my head and uh, pay my student loan bills. So that dream died that day. Uh, I started to look for basically any corporate job I could find that had a reasonable salary, uh, some promise of a career, and something in a larger city. Uh, I ended up starting at uh, Allied Insurance in Des Moines in 2005. Um, worked in their so, call center. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So Allied pre-nationwide like pre well it would have been it actually they were still um they were still in the midst they they had purchased allied at that point but they were in the midst of merging and allied was very much a separate entity at that point okay, okay. um so i i started in their commercial service center which was a um more or less a way for agents to give up a portion of their commission to have licensed agents service the policies so I did that for about two and a half years. Um, I then actually was uh, offered a sales job with a small not-for-profit company uh, that implemented farm benefit, or 401k and pension benefits to farm cooperatives. So I um, had a company car, spent two and a half years on the road, put about 180,000 miles in three company cars in that time. Um, Realized I did not love sales at that point. That was uh, what brought me back to Nationwide in 2009. Um, for about two and a half years there, I did a variety of different roles. I worked in their subrogation department as an arbitration writer. Um, I handled third-party bodily injury claims, which is when I met Tony. And then I was offered another opportunity uh, to move into field claims with my current employer. Awesome. Awesome. Are you still on the field? So along, uh, I am not in the field. I'm actually a home office supervisor now uh, with my current employer. Um, I was in the field for about two and a half years. Loved the job. Uh, loved every single thing about it. But I was offered a promotion, which I graciously accepted. Um, along the way, too, I uh, also went to grad school, got my MBA at Drake University while I was working full-time doing the sales job. And then, uh, in addition, was persuaded to start on my CPCU by Tony once I met him. I was on the fence about it at the time. I knew it was something I wanted to do eventually, but he really encouraged me to do it at a collision course. So I followed the INS nerds route and completed my last five exams in eight months and uh, Jeez. wrapped it all up. I, I was not a happy camper during that time. I would <laughs> no. not advocate for that unless you are very, very motivated to take another step in your career. 
but uh, I'm very happy that I have done that. <laughs> he, he, he was one of the, of the guinea pigs because nowadays, when I tell somebody, and I, I, you know, guys know that I tell this to people every week, but uh, it's not every day. When I tell somebody to pursue CPC, you nowadays, I can honestly tell them, like, in detail what it's going to do to their career. Back in Andrew's time, we were gambling. We had no idea. Mm-hmm. Like, I might have pretended I had a general idea that it was good for him. We had no idea. Like, I, I well, it was, I think. I was going to say, I think it was more of a hope and a prayer at that point. I think we were just all partly included because she was right there with us during a lot of this. I think we were all just hoping for for sunnier, greener pastures. (laughs) It all worked out. It did. It did. Yes. Oh, wow. Beyond my wildest dreams and really faster than I thought. Uh, When I convinced Carly to do her CPCU, uh, I, mine had already gotten me promoted. It had already moved me from claims to underwriting. Uh, so I, I at least had some promise for her. With, with you, it truly was my face, following the Messiah <laughs> with no idea where it led. <sighs> and th- by, by the way, th- I, what I remember most about, uh, about, about that year in claims is that I generally ran into you because we, we didn't work in the exact same department. Andrew actually had a significantly better job than I did. He was third-party injury. So he was actually like negotiating like significant injuries with, with significant uh, negotiating authority. I was medpay. I had no authority. I just paid medical bills. So we we so like like we were different payments on everything. Like like it, like I, I like it was it was just bad anyway. But we sat close to each other, and where I ran into him was usually walking to the bathroom. So basically, walking to and from the bathroom, I talked him into doing his CPCU. Uh, I actually I remember exactly when I met you. Uh, we we uh, the MedPay people because we were the redheaded stepchild. We got sent to a lot of the same training that BI got sent to, and then we got trained on things we couldn't do because we had no power. Right, we couldn't negotiate really. <laughs> uh, and, and so we, we were we were in one of those trainings very early on in my nationwide career. And and Andrew was telling somebody uh, some some lady I can't remember her her name I can't remember who it was, but he was telling her that he had his AIC and, and his MBA. And immediately my ears perked up because I did also. Uh, and I'm like, oh. I have a question because I've never worked in yeah. Do you guys have a sense for how long it took, how long it's been since claims have been so um, uh, specialized? How okay. long has it been since it's been a Medicaid-only oh. adjuster, a BI-only adjuster, etc.? Well, um, it, oh, I... I, I it, Sorry, go ahead. Let, let, let me answer first. Let me answer first because my answer is kind of funny. I always say, and, and I say it from the bottom of my heart, like I know it as a fact. I always say, for about the last 10 years, right? But I have no idea. I, and I've been saying, for about I the last I can't be right years, anymore because you've been last... saying it for at least five years, right? So let's like, very like, for, for, for about the last That's true, yeah. Years, I've been saying, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Andrew, give, give us the real answer. <laughs> So I, I have the benefit of uh, working for a couple of different employers and also uh, mm-hmm. being very interested in claims handling at different different carriers. So I, I ask that question when I run into people at different places. Um, I guess the simple answer is it really depends on the carrier because honestly, mm-hmm. it, it seems to me that the larger carriers like your Nationwide's, your State Farms, some of those other Liberty Mutual, some of those other large carriers – have switched over to specialized um, probably within the last 20 years. Um, nationwide, from what I could gather, 
had started to rein in a lot of their claims uh, offices 15 to 20 years ago. They historically had a model where they had almost exclusively field people. I had a mentor at Nationwide that I still talk to pretty regularly who got his start as a field adjuster, uh, multi-line handled, you know, everything in essence. And then little by little, all of those jobs were started to, uh, they were, they were folded into regional offices and now they're getting folded into even larger centralized offices, Mm -hmm. you know, nationwide now has moved from, you know, even when Tony, when the three of us were there from, you know, what, 10 offices, maybe down to three or four, I mean, we've gotten to where they've got Des Moines, they've got Columbus, they've got just a couple of very large offices. I I think uh, from from 16 to 6 is is, is the, if I understand correctly, and and Carly, before before you you, you go, uh, one fact that that I do know is during the time I was there, all the claims managers that I met, None of them grew up being specialized adjusters. Okay. They all either came from other companies where they got where they got a broad exposure, or uh, they, they 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 were able to move around specialized areas. But but managers, in my experience, didn't come from from you know being a medpay guy for five years or being a BI guy for five years. If you wanted to be a manager, you no. needed the experience that you couldn't get there. And another interesting aspect is a lot of the managers that I knew at Nationwide had uh, grown up in the old way um, later on. It, okay, backing up a little bit, if they weren't actually managers when I knew them, if they were just seasoned adjusters handling just one specialized function, they had actually started their career as a multi-line adjuster. And then they had been siphoned into one of those specific shoots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you maybe had someone who had property experience or they had work comp experience, they had done one of the other disciplines, and then they were now just handling, uh, you know, let's say complex attorney negotiated claims. Um, so somebody, to answer your question. Like, answer the question. Go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say um, there are many, from what I can gather, there are still many carriers out there who still have traditional multi-line adjusters. It's part of a business strategy. Um, you know, a lot of carriers have determined that it's, it's easier to hire fewer people, pay them more and trust them with more claims versus specializing, setting up regional large offices and, and hiring younger people at a lower salary. Uh, I have a question, Andrew, uh, where, where you and I started. So, so your experience in claims was BI, mine was, was MedPay. Would, would, do you think that we would have ever grown to be a good claims manager from from that role. Um, knowing what I know now, I think it would have been incredibly difficult without moving um, rapidly from discipline to discipline. Um, you know, just in my two and a half years as a multi-line, non-specialized adjuster handling personal and commercial exposures. Um, I, I can easily say I learned more in a very rapid amount of time than I did in a longer amount of time um, handling specialized claims. The unfortunate thing uh, about specialization sometimes is you you tend not to look at the the greater picture. You might have a large claim and you just have one small slice of it. And you, you have no awareness of the implications of how your decisions can either positively or negatively affect those around you. So if you're, you know, let's say you're the non-injury claims adjuster, you get that initial 
simple parking lot auto accident, you know, one car on one car. As you dive into it deeper, you find out the guy that your insured hit maybe has a torn rotator cuff. Um, if you don't rapidly hurry and secure those statements, try to do the best you can to preserve your investigation, that could have far-reaching implications to the other four or five people who the claim will be passed along to along the route. Um, you know, there's there's pros and cons. Obviously, you guys did a great job of touching on it on your book. Um, I was very impressed with that because you had talked about how um, – how so many different people uh, can touch a file and how there are pros and cons to both styles. You know, I see current uh, struggles in my current role that I didn't previously based on a larger carrier having specialization Uh, from an expense management standpoint, it makes a lot of sense to specialize Um, from a customer service standpoint. Does it, does it make sense, even on the expenses, does it make sense in the long term? Because I know how I know it makes sense in the short term. That's why we do it, or what they do it. But does it make sense in the long term? But anyway, keep going. Well, I think, and truthfully, I think it depends on your on your customer base. You know, um, I've, I've also had the benefit with a couple of different employers of seeing different types of customers, you know, millennials, to tie it back to our uh, podcast subject, um, tend to be more commoditized buyers tend to be a little less emphasized on customer service. Um, to, you know, to my understanding, it appears that a lot of them are looking at insurance as a commodity, as a customer, they see, you know, one, um, auto policy being just as fungible as another, and they're not looking for heightened handhold and white glove treatment. You know, if you take an older consumer, hold on, hold on. I, I always call people out, when they get a little too technical, uh, fungible. Andrew's pulling out not an insurance word, but an SAT word. Uh, that's what happens when you get journalism major on. Uh, then, then again, uh, Carly, Carly's a communications major because, because insurance is, is the island of misfit toys where we all come from random majors. Uh, including what three men. Uh, so, so, so fungible basically means interchangeable. Yes, fungible is exchangeable. Okay. So a, a commodity in essence, you know, if I purchase an auto policy from Geico, if I'm a, a lay millennial and I simply just want to keep myself legal, keep myself out of hot water, if I hit someone, the Geico policy is identical to the lemonade policy, which is identical to the nationwide policy or the West Bend policy, you know, even though you, as you a, realize that somebody is going to trim a little piece of what you just said and, and just grab the, the lemonade policy is, is, is identical to, even though it's not true because you were saying it's a perception. Uh, it's our own fault. We, we've done it to ourselves because we've advertised on nothing but price for like as long as I can remember. Absolutely. But, you know, that's where the different channels come in as well. Um, you know, I, Carly, I, Tony, Nick, I can't speak for you, but I know that the three of us have experienced all all methods of direct, direct, exclusive, independent. We've seen everything, mm-hmm. and you've kind of seen the differences between those products and what they offer. And, uh, you know, with an independent agent, it seems sometimes to be a little more customer service focused, a little more uh, encouraging to uh, 
have the agent communicate with the customer to make sure they know exactly what they're buying, to know the differences between the carriers, the, the pros and the cons. And if you've got a direct marketing channel, there are times that you are simply buying a product and it's either, you know, I saw Aaron Rodgers on TV, so I'm going to go with this brand or, you know, this is the cheapest. Very so I'm hard. Going with that brand. Right. It's very hard as either a direct writing agent or um, an exclusive agent, both of which I've had experiences, either an employee of, of, an, uh, of an exclusive agent or selling directly for a company. It's very hard to keep track of and be aware of all the differences in the products because you don't have access necessarily to the other products, right? And as an independent sure. agent, you do. You have multiple markets and you're looking at the product on a daily basis. Um, I'm taking a CIC course right now in personal lines and uh, actually Bill Wilson's article, um, personal auto is not a commodity was referenced in the class. And um, it's just a reminder that the independent agent really focuses on product more or should be focused on product more than exclusive or direct writers typically are. Hold on, hold on. So many things that I have to, that I have to jump in on. Uh, number one, uh, Carly, uh, so you and I are, are CPCU fanatics, right? Uh, CIC is a competitor of CPCU. Now, a lot of people have both. I wish I had both. CIC has been on my to-do list for a while. Uh, we have a, a very popular article called CPCU versus CIC to help people figure out which one to do or how to do both. Um, and now that so I will have are, both, we can speak intelligently. Good. So that's exactly where I wanted to go. I, you, so you've, you've done two CIC classes, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and then uh, my, my, my girlfriend, Renee, uh, who's also in the industry, also took one CIC class uh, in, in California. You took two in Pennsylvania. CIC varies part by location because, because who teaches it varies. And even, even, even the book varies, right? So the book is designed by the people who are presenting or teaching, yes. Okay. Um, the teachers so, travel cross country, so I oh, could okay, have okay. the same teachers as the ones who appear in California from time to time. Okay. So what what I was going to bring up is is that so Renee went went to to the uh, to the CAC class and she never went back. Uh, you. It's tempting to not to, go back. Uh, Classes are oh, are challenging. So are, are you loving the CIC classes? Are you enjoying the CIC classes? You need to do things that you don't enjoy to get a good perspective. Did I enjoy spending <laughs> three hours a day to do my CPCU in a year? No, but it was good information. It was valuable. And, oh, okay, okay. Uh, I think o always that diplomatic, Carly. You can't, you yeah, can't always was, get what you want, but sometimes you exactly. get what you need. <laughs> There you uh, go. See, I, I enjoyed the CPCU. I deeply enjoyed the many, many, many hours that I, that I was putting into CPCU. Um, Remember at the beginning when you were like, I would be excited. You're not surprised to hear that I'm excited because I'm Tony. So yeah, I Tony, I think, I think you're what we would call an outlier. I think you... Uh, yeah, you would uh, go to the class. You'd love yeah. it. But, but what I'm saying is... is I have probably 15 text messages from Carly this week about how much she didn't <laughs> want to go to CIC. Uh, so basically, I have nothing against CIC. It's a wonderful program, uh, and uh, I wish I had it. I honestly, I honestly wish I had it. Uh, the agents respect it a lot. 
I have a problem that I keep hearing over and over that they make people put their phone away. Uh, that, yeah. that is very I have a problem with that unfriendly. Too. That is very unfriendly <laughs> to millennials, uh, which you know are, are my people. That is uh, right. Let my people go. Uh, what I'm saying. I is, am very <laughs> curious because the the reasoning for it is um, the reason that I've heard for it is that they CE boards. Do not allow phones to I don't know if I buy it. Well, I, I, I was going to say, I mean, maybe it has... CE courses. I, I, I maybe it has something it. to do with recording content, too. I mean, maybe they don't want oh, people to record yeah, the curriculum. yeah, that could be. <clears throat> Whatever. I, like, the, uh, Andrew's point is better. Yeah, what they normally say is, yeah. is that, it's, that, that, that it's, it's against CE policy. Uh, and they kind of, like, like throw the ball to the state and say, oh, no, the state forces this. But... Every other C thing that you go to, you don't have to turn it off. And in fact, like a lot of C, you buy online, you hit play, and you walk away from the computer, and you still get it, right? So, so, so I, I'm sorry. I, it just it, it, it feels like the call center where they treat you like a third grader. I used to say fifth grader, oh, but I'm gonna lower that. Oh, I at the call center. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> no, no. Call centers, so no, it's so hard to be there for 15 minutes and not have my phone, but. Um, but it is really good practical knowledge and there are agents in my class and I think that for agents, um, it, it should be required for agents. It's better than any CE course I've done in the past as an agent. Um, it is really good information. You spend a lot of time with the policy, you spend a lot of time doing understand coverage. I think it is a really good course, but I do think it's very agent focused. How well does I, it? But uh, go, go ahead, Nick. I took a CIC course. Um, not Carly. Not only do they go into policy details, uh, they go into legal cases. Um, yeah. We got. We got. I did a personal lines class, and we got quizzed on you know single words in a policy making or breaking mm-hmm. a legal case. Uh, I learned more in that C- CIC class than I did in any CPCU class regarding personal lines because you you go so in depth, um, and I actually think not having the phone or, or having um, a a policy where the phone is turned off, I think that's a benefit. For one, I think I think the phones are a distraction. It's just so hard, right? But second, second, I think what what could be what could be really useful for that is when I go to that course. I want to be able to tell my employer I can't answer email. It, it's actually against the rules to answer email. Uh, yeah, yeah. So do not email me because I won't be able to respond. Don't call me. Don't email me. Like I'm gone for these days because I'm taking this class. I think it's a great policy. Right. Okay. I think that's so fair. Yeah. That's true. I mean, that's a, that's a good thing. Uh, I, I, I want to make it very clear that I'm not anti-CIC. I'm very envious of the people that already have it. It's on my to-do list. It's been for years, and I, I will do it the day that they're willing to treat me like an adult. And what I mean by that is, let me use my phone. Tony, an and adult then, can put his phone away for 50 minutes. An adult can <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds like there. good. Uh, <laughs> That's ridiculous. Good if anything, if there's kind of a side benefit to it, maybe it's mindfulness training for millennials like us. Yes, yeah. We have trouble exactly. disconnecting from our phones. Exactly. Like, you know, it's a it's a stereotype of millennials, you know, that 
they're connected to their phones in that particular way. And I think, I think, uh, you know, kill two birds with one stone. You learn a lot about insurance and you learn, uh, they should almost consider it meditation training. Like I, I'm not using my phone. It turns out. Yeah. Like at the end of that 50 minutes when I have my 10 minute break to check my phone, nothing has happened. Everything is fine. There's nothing (laughs) shattering on my phone. It's all good. So I think it's, and you, you really put the focus in. I think it's, you should probably do it as soon as the next class is available in Atlanta. Keep in mind, I, I will say, Carly, to your point, with the uh, dopamine release from checking your phone, um, I could see it being <laughs> difficult to have to put that down for a couple of hours and put it away. Uh, that's, yeah. like, that's like me going a day without my cup of coffee, first thing. Well, they yeah. provide coffee. If there wasn't coffee. Yeah, I, I for certain <laughs> wouldn't go if coffee wasn't offered. <laughs> see, I, 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 my phone is my coffee. Uh so and anyway, nothing against AC, wonderful program. I, I do think that they need to to update uh, the, the way they they teach it uh, to be a little more friendly. Otherwise, I, in the long term, I think they'll have trouble with a lot of millennials and and Gen Zers not wanting to do it because of of silly rules like put away your phone. That's kind of what I'm saying. Uh, so, but this is a perfect transition point. Uh, and with this crowd, we could talk for hours. So I'm, I'm going to try to keep this moving. We're probably already late, uh, but this is a perfect transition point to our second topic, to our big topic of the day, which is millennials. And uh, so, so, uh, so, so, Carly, myself, and, and Andrew are, are all millennials. Andrew, I can never remember if you're a little bit older or a little bit younger than me. I'm, I'm 34. I'm just a, I, your age. Yeah, no, I'm 34. Also, where where you are slightly older than me, not much. Okay, okay. So, so all three of us are, are millennials. And uh, I think that's very interesting because together we have quite a bit of insurance experience by now. Like Carly and I together have like 20 years now, yep. right? I, I, like Car- Carly, you've got how many years of insurance experience by now? 13. 13. And I, I, I've got mm-hmm. uh, seven, seven, seven or eight, so eight, so 21. And Andrew, you've got how many years of insurance experience? I have uh, 12. <laughs> I, I can't even add that high. I need a calculator. What's what's twenty one twelve? Yeah, thirty three. I was a sales guy. Thirty three. That's okay. one of our. 30, that's 30, one of our lives. That's one of our lives. I don't think it has to do with sales, Tony. I think it's because you can't live without your phone, so you have to do all your math on your phone true. as well. <laughs> that, that, yes, it's Thank true. I, yeah, I'm not a math person. I, that I, would I, be a I, problem. I think you should take the CIC class. Yeah, it's time. Okay. We're, I, I will take that into into, into advisement. Uh, so, what well, the point that I'm trying to make is in, in the industry, we we I keep hearing the industry talk about millennials, which they've been talking about since before I started. Uh, talk about millennials like they're a brand new thing, and the industry definitely hasn't figured out what to do with millennials. And here we have three millennials adding up to 33 years of insurance. 33 is is Carly's not 33, like. We have more insurance experience than Carly has been alive. Okay. And so what I'm saying is, is multiply us by, you know, a few hundred thousand millennials in the, in the industry. There's a lot of, of, of experience already that is held by our generation. And, and it's really funny that the carriers are still having trouble figuring out how, how, how to deal with us. So anyway, that's what led, 
what, what, what led Carly and I to, to finally put the book down on paper, well, that and, and, and Renee coming home one day and saying, okay, it's time to do it. Uh, but anyway, we, uh, so we wrote this book. Uh, it, it's been out for, for uh, a month and seven days or so since the official publication date. Uh, and it's been an amazing experience. It's, it, right now, it has 25 reviews on Amazon, averaging 4.9 uh, stars, the only the only four star review is very positive and it's very fair. Basically, what he says is that the, that we ignored agencies completely, that we focused completely on on the on the carrier side, and that is true. We did, and the reason we did is because we are carrier people, and that's where we have solutions for. We don't really have solutions for agencies quite yet. Uh, we're working on that. Uh, so anyway, the book's done amazingly well. It sold. I, I expected to sell about five hundred copies. This year, right now, we have sold 490 in a month, uh, which I literally, you guys can see, I'm almost crying just saying that. Uh, it, it's been just an amazing experience. Uh, so, so anyway, I want to transition to the topic of, of millennials. Uh, so I don't even know what to say. Andrew, uh, you were saying that, that, that in your company, which we can't name, uh, same, same as my company, we can't name, uh, I, I, I gave you, uh, I don't know, three or four copies of the book, uh, and, and you were telling us that it's having an effect already? Yes, actually. Our, our employer is um, running, my employer is running into a lot of the same recruiting issues that many carriers are facing right now. And truthfully, I don't know that it's any fault of, of theirs. Um, you know, and we've kind of touched on this in prior conversations, but um, I think what it is, is you've got the slow moving industry that really doesn't know what to do with a rapidly aging workforce with years and years and years of experience. And, you know, at my personal level right now, I'm substantially younger than a lot of my coworkers, but a lot of these people have done the role that I had or similar roles for the last 30 or 40 years. So, they're starting to contemplate retirement. They're starting to look at the next chapter in their lives and getting ready to pack up and move. And, you know, much like many other carriers, um, we simply don't have an answer for how to backfill that type of knowledge. You know, I'm in a role right now that requires uh, a number of years in the adjuster job and then moving up and being promoted. And, we simply don't have enough people who've been retained in the industry long enough to know the skills to move up. You know, it's not a, um, it's more of a knowledge gap problem. Uh, and Andrew, uh, how, how many years of, of claims experience do you need for your job? So you feel comfortable bringing somebody in for your job? Well, um, it's kind of difficult to quantify because I, I have a oh, hybrid give me, position. Give me a um, you know, historically, okay. Historically speaking, they wanted to see 10 years. Um, okay. the, so, the, so the math doesn't simply doesn't allow for that anymore. They're getting oh, to the point oh, now oh, where oh. there is enough of a talent shortage that they're starting to have to consider less experience. Okay. So, so, so if, if Tony Canyon had, had stayed, uh, in in, uh, in in MedPay, or maybe got promoted to BI and done that done that for, for for ten years. Would that have been enough for this kind of role? Or uh, I, I'm thinking of, of, of somebody else, and I can't say their name out loud, but you're gonna laugh when you read it on the screen. Uh, 
if 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 somebody like that person that I, that I just wrote down uh, has stayed in, in that role that that person was working in in in, in a no injury liability claims role, which is a, a claims role where you don't pay any claims, you literally just interview people and decide liability. If they do that for ten years. Would you hire them for 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 your role? Absolutely not. And what what makes it difficult is. Um, you know, and without diving into the weeds too much on my current employer, they they are very technical and they handle a lot of different products. And you are expected to understand a lot of things about a lot of different products uh, in a fairly short amount of time. Now, the earliest most folks can attain that level is several years, just by volume of the amount of technical uh, aspects of the job. Um, so. In a, in a specialized format, it would take a very long time to replicate that skill set. It, it would it would resemble something like 20 jobs. I mean, I'm not really embellishing that much just because specialization has broken apart the claims function into so many different roles that, you know, there's not really an adequate way to allow someone to experience all of the elements of claims. I think uh, there's something people, especially people who are new to the industry or people who are trying to come into the industry um, out from outside may have a challenge with is you're in a super, supervisory role, right, Andrew? Yep. yep. Yeah. So in other industries and in our MBA studies, we learned that the best manager is not necessarily the best technical person, right? Yes. Um, our industry still seems to be focused a bit on uh, we want people who have a wide breadth of technical experience and sure. understanding before they can be promoted to management. Um, why do you think that's something that we're stuck on? Nick, Andrew, anyone who has opinions on that? Because I think, I think that there's a place for technical knowledge and it's important to have it. Um, but that may not be the best way to motivate your team. Well, my I, Nick, I'll jump in first if that's okay. I um, probably need to define my role a little more. I, I don't actually have any direct reports. I am technically more of a okay. home office supervisor, a technical supervisor. So uh, that said, I I will assist the field staff in all of the technical aspects of the more difficult claims they handle regarding casualties. So if they have construction defect claims, if they have high dollar auto accident claims, high dollar CGL injury claims, um, some even getting into the weeds a little bit, some coverage B claims or dental malpractice sure. claims or some of those so, other types of technical claims, okay. I'll provide uh, advisory technical support. Uh, once suit is filed, I become a litigation manager. So I retain counsel. Um, I see all of the files that I'm supervising through litigation or mediation. Uh, I'm making the call on setting the reserves on providing the direction to defense counsel as to when we want to settle. So I make a decision. I prepare reports, forward those to upper management, let them consider all of the legal issues that I'm facing and then we move forward. I, I have no direct reports. Uh, our field claim managers uh, handle all of the reporting, uh, all the HR personnel stuff. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. So, 
Andrew, you, you've, you've had a privileged claims career, in, in my opinion. You got really, really lucky. Well, you had some really good advice to, to get CPCU, but, but uh, you, you, uh, you got really, really lucky when you got the field role, which gave you breath. Uh, I, what I'm hearing is there's just not a lot of, of, uh, of people our age who, who got that lucky. Yes, and um, I am I'm humbled to have received the opportunities that I've had in my career. Um, and, and I'll even say previously at Nationwide, at my other employers, uh, as well as my current role, um, what's difficult and our greatest challenge is trying to find millennials, uh, or really, I mean, truthfully, outside of that, uh, anyone who has enough technical knowledge to assume the job. You know, that we've, we've got to find someone, um, within our own claims department who, uh, has technical skills, who was, you know, a, a solid adjuster, good numbers, good performance, um, also has all the technical skills, the technical knowledge. Uh, we've got some relocation, uh, challenges as well. Um, there's just, there's a lot of things at play. And, you know, from the content of your book and in discussing, uh, millennials and claims, I honestly think the most difficult challenge of the industry, uh, you know, as mentioned in your book, is taking a 22-year-old with a college degree, plugging them into an entry-level job where they're doing the same thing all day long, and keeping them engaged long enough and persistent long enough to make something of their careers. Because once you get past those initial levels at the bottom, it's a great career. You know, it's a great industry. Uh, just due to sheer math, uh, you know, once you break through that bottom level, you, <laughs> the opportunities are endless in essentially any how, aspect of claims. How essential do you think it is for you to have, to have relocated? Um, I, and I'm not asking, I don't, I don't want you to say negative. I'm just curious because I've been thinking a lot about uh, we are really dependent on our people being in the home office or in um, whichever office we're supposed to be servicing. But a lot of our work is very intangible. And I, mm-hmm. I'm just not sure. I'm not asking you to say anything negative about having had to go through the relocation. I've gone through relocations and, and it's been a positive experience. But I'm just curious. Do you think that that could contribute to some challenges for us going forward? Uh, absolutely. And the reason I say that, and I'm actually going to come at this from the opposite direction. Um, you know, we all, Tony, Carly, Andrew, we all were um, starting our careers fundamentally. Um, Carly, I know you had some experience in another city for several years prior to that, but we were all trying to gain our footing in Des Moines, Iowa. And Des Moines, Iowa is a great city. Uh, yeah, I have nothing but positive things to say about Des Moines. Um, the weather. Interesting. Yeah, well, the weather's terrible, but everything else is... Um, and it's no different than where I am. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not that different from me either. That said, um, what was challenging about Des Moines was the fact that you had this homogenous population of thousands of people who were educated, who were at relative parity with one another in terms of their education level, their experience, their, yes, their salary expectations. Um, So in essence, you're competing with literally a thousand other people 
if especially if you're working in a larger carrier, you know, uh, you guys touched on the book, the fact that you've got, uh, you get your footing in the call center uh, at a large carrier, you work there for a year or two, you bang your head against the wall to do everything you possibly can to differentiate yourself from everyone else. And you're not provided a lot in terms of career guidance other than well, you should look at X because everyone else is doing X. The unfortunate thing about everyone else is doing X is everyone else has exactly the same resume and you're all competing for that one X job. And oh, by the way, later you found out that X doesn't hire people from the call center. So you've been canceled before you even knew you had the opportunity. So that said, um, I would not have been able to advance my career without relocating. That became apparent to me. Um, you know, a couple of moves into my career, uh, you have to be willing to look, uh, especially as your skill set improves, you know, as you become a more marketable candidate, um, there are only so many jobs for all of us in Des Moines. I think we all knew that. I think as we wanted to move farther into our careers, um, you know, there just weren't as many opportunities um, locally or regionally as there were nationally. Okay, that's fair. Do you think it's essential for you to live where you live to do the job that you do? Um, that's a tricky one, honestly, because I've heard both sides of the story. Um, you know, pr- current and prior employers, um, I've had that dialogue and that discussion. You know, we we live in a in a twenty four seven remote world, and millennials are mm-hmm. very remote inclined. Um, I, I have the benefit of working from home a day a week. I used to, for about two and a half. Uh, years, I actually worked from home exclusively. So I never went into the home office for anything. Functioned just fine, truthfully, because I'm, I am very productive in concentrated bursts. Uh, I do some of my best work today at home because I'm able to work undistracted for three hours at a shot and I can get a work days full of work done in a very short amount of time. Um, there are advantages to the office and uh, my current employer is a good example of this because we're um, very much in the weeds on my workflow. You know, I'll get a claim that will be a multi-million dollar exposure on a pretty regular basis. And they are uh, very technical. They're very sophisticated. Sometimes you might have a construction defect case with 20 subcontractors and a general contractor, and you've got all these risk transfer issues that you have to evaluate. And there's nothing more useful than being able to get up from my desk and walk five feet to my boss's office and talk to him about the file. You know, you can't Mm -hmm. replicate that at home and you can't replicate it digitally. And I know that kind of runs afoul of millennial thinking a lot of the ways I can tell, you know, Tony's probably uh, rolling his eyes a little bit at that comment. But I do believe that it is sometimes essential to have some office time to talk to your coworkers, to listen to what they're working on. You know, another benefit that I have now that I didn't have when I was in the field is the benefit of listening to some of my very, very intelligent coworkers discuss some of their more technical claims. You know, I can listen to them talk about something that I'm not dealing with, but that I've always mm-hmm. wondered or I've, I've wanted to kind of forecast the outcome. And I've learned a ton just from listening over the walls. So it's tricky. Um, you know, our, our, the, the current structure that I'm used to requires a relocation. 
Um, I'm thankful having been given the opportunity. My relocation experience has been extremely positive. Um, you know, I, I was treated very fairly and um, I have nothing uh, negative to say about that whatsoever. But the, the, the time that it worked out. Yeah, I, I was I was a it was a happy coincidence <laughs> that I was able to time the market pretty well with uh, real estate values. Um, I can't say everyone's been as lucky. I even have some peers who've unfortunately not been able to time it as well as I have. But oh no, I, I was I was referring to 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 the full start to Denver. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for picking up an old moon. Yeah, <laughs> Andrew had forgotten completely about that. I had oh, actually. That was yeah. that was of a Vietnam <laughs> flashback that you just opened up. The 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 uh, Cliff Notes version of that story is within 15 seconds. I unsuccessfully attempted to move to Denver for a job that had been offered to me based on a relocation technicality with the prior employer, and it was very unpleasant. And it was a communication breakdown, and um, something like that was uh, instrumental and causing me to start to look at my other options. So it, it, it all worked out. It all worked out. But basically, it did. he got the it offer, did. he accepted it. They started the process. He had a, a start date. And then because of technicality, the, the, the real package didn't work out, basically. Uh, but you, you, you ended up where you needed to be. No question about that. You're, you're in a fantastic place. Fantastic. I did. So, I did, and, I, yeah, and I'm it, very it, thankful for that. Uh, how many times have we, as a, as a group, re- relocated uh, while we've been in insurance? I know myself. I have uh, went to Columbus, Columbus to to Scottsdale, Scottsdale to Columbus, uh, Columbus to uh, Sacramento, Sacramento to San Francisco, San Francisco to Atlanta. That's six relocations for me. Charlie, you've got I just have one. one? Just one. Okay, yep. Andrew, you've got one. Yeah, I've just got one. Nick, how many do you have? I have three. Uh, New York City, Southern California, uh, back to the East Coast, Philly. Uh, I did move back to New England, but that was a uh, personal choice. Um, but yeah, three. So the rest of us are same. So I'm I'm intrigued. Was there a lot of difficulty in convincing your employer to move you from New York to Southern California? I, I would just think that the reload expense would be astronomical at that point. Oh well, that was um, back in 1973. Yeah, well that that what? No, no, no. Hey, come on, come on. Um, <laughs> that that was uh, the acceptance of a new position. And it, it was basically, you know, signing bonus slash travel expense, spend the money however you want Got to spend it. it. Yeah. And it, it was expensive. Yep. Here's, you know, it, it was sure. probably a little in excess of $20,000 to move across the country. Yep. So it was, it was, yeah, it was pretty expensive, but um, uh, I, I wouldn't trade it. I'm just living in Southern California it. was awesome. Oh, bad. I, I, bad. Want, I, I want to summarize the reload discussion with, with, with two sides of the coin that we always focus on. For, for the talent, for, for the young professional, relocating in this industry is really good for your career. If there's a great opportunity somewhere else, really consider it. It's the fastest well, way to grow. Uh, the, you know, I, I can, I've never I can chime it. in. You, you guys have a different perspective, so 
from my perspective, and I, I've dealt with more of the analytic side of things and the reinsurance side of things, um, relocation to New York City, relocation to Bermuda is a plus, 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 plus to your career. Um, if, uh, if you get a chance to go to Bermuda to learn reinsurance there, you can basically work anywhere in the world. Uh, you're going to pick up so much knowledge that uh, you'll be incredibly valuable no matter where you go. So I, I've seen it uh, firsthand um, with uh, Bermuda, New York City. It's for, for reinsurance and analytics uh, and things of that nature. Uh, yeah, I'd say you, you should do it. Uh, you know, get out of your comfort zone a little bit. But uh, it becomes very valuable to you. If, if, if you hear of an opportunity in Bermuda where they want a young guy who's not good with numbers, but it's a great sales guy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's my number. I would love to do Bermuda for a couple years or London. Uh, and uh, the opposite, thank you, Nick. That was fantastic. The opposite side of the coin, employers, uh, younger generations are, are, are going to be less patient with having to work in the office. They're, they're going to demand that, 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 that we let them work from home or work from wherever they want uh, a lot more often. And, and uh, uh, demand is a strong word, but they will find other industries and we'll, we, we will continue having this talent gap forever unless we figure out how to get really good at letting people to work from wherever they want to work. Uh, personally, I, I, I would go into the office once a week uh, to, to, as an underwriter, I would go into the office on Wednesdays, meet with my UA, meet with my manager, and the rest of the week I'd be so happy working from home. You could pay me a little less. But, you, you know, again, I, I think you guys, uh, have a, you guys have a different perspective um, coming up through the, through the system where you, where you came up from. Um, I think we're old millennials. Well, but no, but even the young, young millennials, if they, you know, New York City is the uh, probably the insurance capital of the United States. There's so yeah. much opportunity there. I can't imagine any millennial that would graduate from college, get a job offer in New York City, and just say, "No, I want to work from home." I, I, yeah, no, no, that's you know, fair. So, so there are two yeah, sides, no, I, sides to that coin, right? I, there is if if the if the if the location is like. You know, one of those prestige locations, San Francisco, New York, you know, Chicago. I think a millennial will jump at that. And that's nothing against like Des Moines or Columbus or things like that. But they just don't carry the prestige as those of those other cities. I think if you're, you know, you're a nationwide and you're in Ohio or you're a company in Des Moines, you better be flexible because you're competing against New York City and San Francisco. Well, but, but, but you know what? That actually, that's a good point and a good jump off. Um, not every – Des Moines is an interesting example uh, because you've only got a certain number of employers, and they're allowed to negotiate lower salaries, less benefits, less options, less opportunities compared to other markets. So, I mean, there's two sides to that coin also. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, Carly – Tony, Andrew, I think we were all casualties of working in a city that only had a limited number of employers, a limited number of opportunities, and our salaries may have suffered for a period of time based on that. And, and, and a city with an incredible number of insurance professionals. 
That too. Uh, I mean, yes. Yep. It was, it was definitely a seller's market in Des Moines. So we're, we're, we're kind of out of time. Uh, we had two lemonade articles because we almost always talk about lemonade. Uh, we have two <laughs> lemonade articles that I wanted to at least touch on. Uh, since we have uh, the benefit of a claims expert, Andrew, I, I wanted to, to get your opinion on, on the, uh, this uh, lemonade proves the trust pays off, with, uh, pays off big time. Lemonade proves the trust pays off big time. Uh, yes. I, don't know, I don't know if you had a chance to read it. But I what did. you give us your opinion on it as, as, a, as a claims expert? I think uh, what's interesting is I have actually had property returned to me uh, a few times, and I've 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 never oh, been no, offered no, 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 no. a. <clears throat> but 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 lemonade and, and their blog is it's so pretty, it's so cool looking, and their app is so <laughs> awesome. I, I'm really dying for them to get to Georgia so I can try them. Uh, but they're telling me that this is incredibly rare in insurance. It never happens. It only happens to them because they, because they're so cool. So. I think not well, they're... as a claims expert. It came up in CSC. We had an agent, multiple agents actually in the class who mentioned that it happened. I tweeted about this article and agents responded to me that it happened. So it's a lovely thought that it only happens because you have a pretty app, but trust is not based on a pretty app. No, I, I so agree I with that. And, and they're not saying it's based on the pretty app. They're saying that it's based on, on, on the charity com- components of it, which makes a little more sense. But, but so, Andrew, so, so, so this is common in claims. I've been out of claims for years. I, I wouldn't say it's common. I've never, not in my years, have I had a policyholder offer to reimburse a claim payment. I have had, let's say, stolen jewelry claims where the jewelry is found later and they'll withdraw the claim. I've also had stolen property claims where they recover the stolen property and they offer to uh, give it back to uh, companies, um, you know, because it's uh, more or less company property wherever it is. Um, I... I mean, realistically, I've never had a refund of a of a claim payment. That's never happened in the past. So, um, lemonade's interesting, and you might have to have me on a future podcast to discuss lemonade because I've got I've got some perspectives and some thoughts on that just with their structure. My, my friend, you just talked your way into like our next like six podcasts. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so uh, I, I I do want to touch just really quick. Uh, so, so we finally got. To, to the day of the year where, where, where Lemonade gives back uh, to, to the charities chosen. And uh, yesterday, they, they published their article. Uh, they gave back $53,174, which is you know, less than any of us make. Uh, but it's 10.2% of their earned revenues. That's a huge amount. Nick, and we'll, we'll have to discuss this more in depth uh, in the next episode. Uh, or in problems and risk, but but uh, Nick, I remember you saying a couple months ago that in insurance there's never extra money, so so they so they will never give money to charity. Are you putting me on the spot? Um, yeah. Oh yeah. No. What I what I said is um, they they purposely picked states where they can kind of nibble around catastrophic exposure. Um, and they haven't, they haven't started selling anywhere where there's uh catastrophic, uh, potential. 
Um, and so talk to me when they get to Texas, the Gulf in Florida, then I want to see that. Um, I, you know, what we're dealing with here is, uh, they're selling a policy very inexpensively. Um, they're, and then they're promising to have, uh, uh, a surplus payout at the end of the year, um, and be able to pay all their claims. You can't have all three. It's just, it's, it's, well, not, it's not possible. And I, I read an interesting article a couple of weeks ago talking about their, their structure and how they will still set aside um, executive pay, some of those other things. I mean, I, I appreciate the charitable angle. Uh, however, I think that that is being marketed as a truly altruistic or organization when you've still got a lot of the same elements that you do with other regular insurance companies. Yeah. Uh, you oh, know, they're, they, they're, they, they're, they a are a they're, they're, but no, they're, they're a brokerage firm, you, you know, Sequoia capital is a VC company. They're not, they're not interested in nonprofits. Um, uh, they set the insurance company up as a nonprofit. Um, but every dollar that gets paid in premium, they take 20 cents. That 20 cents mm-hmm. is, they, they, that gets swept oh, over. That does not, that money is not eligible for claims. That money is not eligible for charity yeah. give back. That's their profit. So yeah. the, the VCs are looking at that brokerage arm saying if they can really uh, fine tune their message and get uh, incredible amounts of growth, that brokerage arm is going to make a ton of money. If the company blows up down the road, it blows up down the road, they get to keep theirs. That. A, 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 a quick clarification: the 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 the, uh, the carrier side is, is not a nonprofit. It's it's a, it's a B corporation, so it's a for profit bought for social benefits corporation. Sure, but but you are you are absolutely close, correct. Close, on, close on, to on a non close to a nonprofit. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I've yeah, I actually for a period of time I worked for a not for profit that was structured pretty similarly but the the brokerage element and the 20 percent was uh news to me but that's interesting because because it does it it questions um what their responsibility to their uh policyholders would be you know to your point if 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 they move into areas let's say you move into the midwest when you've got possible catastrophic windstorm exposure you know what does that do in a record year if they don't have dollars to pay their claims yeah. I, I, I know and oh. their answer is going to be we we send it to reinsurance but the so that's why these things take time to develop it's going to take at least three years for it to sort itself out um because sure. you know at some point at some point the reinsurance is the reinsurers because i think berkshire hathaway is one of the reinsurers warren buffett's not doing this for social benefit and if well, he's a nice guy of course he is <laughs> Could because he's a bit, because he's a nice guy, but he's really smart, and he want he you know he wants his his underwriters to be making money he wants and returns. Yep. and yep. Uh, returns and if, for shareholders. And if they find out that you know uh, Lemonade is not paying uh, the appropriate amount of premium for the amount of claims that they're kicking down to him, they're going to have a huge spike in reinsurance costs, and that charitable giveaway is just going to disappear really fast so you know uh, an interesting point you guys don't know this um there'll be an article coming out soon um i've been working with someone i think he's in the uk who's writing an article on lemonade um and uh he and we've been going back and forth and 
uh, I had completely forgotten, but I, I had heard the chief underwriting officer for Lemonade speak at a conference, conference I was at in New York. Uh, and uh, Tony, you're, you're a big fan of Dan Ariely. Uh, Dan told Lemonade, don't, don't get your customers to love you. Get your customers to hate the industry. That's the message. Yeah, that. that like that sure. all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay. Uh, Everything well, makes sense but, now. <laughs> but truthfully, I don't know that it's all that difficult. INS What's that? An article on INS Nerds? No, it's not. It's it's someone oh, else's article. Okay. I'll share it with you guys. Maybe they'll okay. let us maybe they'll let us post it there. But but to me that speaks volumes. Like, like, that that ex, that kind yeah, of explains everything. Yeah. So 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 yeah. so let let me let me say I, I, I love Dan Ariely's ideas when it comes to psychology and to, to, to the psychology of ir- irrationality uh, and to the psychology of dishonesty and I I've been saying for years that we should be adopting some of his ideas in insurance. I'm not a big fan of of, of his ideas in marketing, uh, which is what he's doing with Lemonade uh, by by getting the getting you know hel- helping them uh, to get people to hate the industry more than they do already. So we, we really need to wrap it up. The, 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 uh, the, the, the boss is in today, so we can't go an hour and a half. Uh, I, I, won't, I won't name names currently, uh, but uh, <laughs> the boss is in today. We'll, we'll have to wrap it up within range of the usual, of the 45 minutes we're supposed to. Uh, so, so as always, uh, we like to, to, to finish this thing. By the way, it's been, one, it's been a really fun one. Uh, as always, we like to finish this thing with a, a positive note. So we will go around the circle and uh, everybody say one thing from this week that they are happy or proud about. So uh, ladies before gentlemen, which I learned from Nick. Uh, so Carly, you can go first. <laughs> All right. So as Tony mentioned, we have to wrap it up because I am studying for my CAC exam tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm happy this week because I have actually uh, found the, the, the second CIC course that I'm taking to be much more useful and interesting. And as I mentioned before, it'd be great if all of our agents went and um, obtained their CIC. <clears throat> I think it's it's a, a very good practical course for agents and anyone in the industry who wants to understand uh, insurance from a customer-facing perspective. So that is what I'm happy about this week. How about you, Andrew? So. Oh. So I, this is going to sound very unmillennial of me, but I actually, (laughs) uh, I actually just celebrated five years with my current employer uh, a couple of weeks ago. And um, I know that is very atypical of millennials nowadays. Um, Usually most millennials will have gone to two or three employers by that point, but um, Hopefully, my story can be one that there are still great employers out there that treat their employees well, that, um, you know, provide a career roadmap. I, I, I have to emphasize that your employer does, has done with you such a fantastic job of providing you a roadmap, of paying you well, of giving you opportunities. Uh, sometimes they spoil you. I mean, you got, you got to keep the company car even though you're now at headquarters, like, like, which I'm still scratching my head on. Like, they replace the company <laughs> car every, every couple of years. Uh, you have stock options. Like, you've got a heck of a deal. Uh, so, yeah, if every, if every carrier was that, uh, was that way, our book would be half the size. 
We would be and, talking about, uh, about as I Nick. mentioned with Nick, Andrew works very hard and is definitely worth it. So oh, yeah. <laughs> work hard in the industry. That's true. But, but yep. again, going back to there being a talent shortage and a difficulty in finding people, that's where designations, experience, um, doing everything you can to network and find opportunities kicks in, too. Yep. Def, get, get, get your CPCU, get your IC, come hang out with, with Carly and me in, in, uh, in, in uh, Orlando. You don't have time for Orlando anymore. In uh, San Diego or in New Orleans or wherever they announce next. I will probably go, go to the CPCU meetings every year until they celebrate, uh, until they mourn or celebrate my, der- my death, hopefully sometime around, around 2087. Uh, uh, Andrew, one last thing. Uh, uh, I wa- What's that? Go ahead. Keep going. Well, in, in, in 2087, I will be 105 years old. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's why I chose that date. Uh, so, so, so uh, a- a- Andrew, I want to get this in the, in the recording. Uh, you are one of the few CPCUs that has never been to an annual meeting. Uh, can I get a commitment that you will at some point come join us at an annual meeting? I should be able to do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Awesome. Give me a couple awesome. more years, awesome. and I will. I will do that. Perfect. I, I, you know what? Get, get your wife to finish hers, and uh, that way you can get the company to pay for it. Um, Absolutely. So, 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 Nick, what, what are you happy or proud about this week? So I took. Uh, it's not this week, but we haven't done this in a while. So I uh, took the producer's exam in the state of New Hampshire. It was really hard. Uh, well, studying was really hard. The practice exams were incredibly hard. It got me really <laughs> nervous. And I kept putting the exam off, off and off and off. And then I went to put it off again, and it wouldn't let me put me put it off. And I called them up and like, no, you got to take the exam. So I'm like, oh, shoot. So I showed up, and, uh, and I actually passed. I got a 72. So I passed. So, hey, uh, but, congrats. But uh, millennials will hate this. I'll show you guys. I have to uh, – I couldn't get the online application done correctly. It's all scripts. I got to do a paper, <laughs> paper application with a check, and uh, and I just and uh, I'm gonna have to drive to Concord, New Hampshire, and hand it off for me to get my oh, my license. You don't accept it in the mail. Uh, they wow. would, but they couldn't. They couldn't give me a dollar amount for the check. So <laughs> I, uh, yes, they couldn't give me a dollar amount. Tony would quit. Tony would be like, I'm done. Somewhere in Concord, New Hampshire, there are probably a bunch <laughs> of state employees at the New Hampshire Department of Insurance doing a podcast about modernizing their office. <laughs> <laughs> an, an internal podcast in that, in that case. Uh, I, yes, Tony would move. Tony would move to a different state <laughs> where, where, where they were a little more modern in the way they had moved. <laughs> So I guess that leaves me to, to finish up here. Uh, I am very happy. Uh, we just got back from what, what I like to call uh, our uh, 13th or 14th honeymoon. Uh, we, we just got, got back uh, for, from uh, Peru, uh, where we spent 4th July week, and it was amazing, uh, especially seeing Machu Picchu, uh, ma- which is actually pronounced Machu Picchu. Uh, hmm. so, so anyway, Machu Picchu was just an amazing, amazing experience. Uh, so, uh, if, if you have the ability to travel, dear listener, keep Peru in mind. It is an amazing experience. Uh, now, normal people go see Machu, Machu Picchu, uh, 
uh, hang out in Cusco, and then they go to Lake Titicaca, and in Lake Titicaca, they, they take a, uh, a, a boat, and they go visit the, the uh, Uros people, and they have lunch with the Uros people, and they go back to a decent hotel. Uh, because my girlfriend is not normal people, she's insane, and I love her, uh, which is insane. We didn't go, go visit the, the Uros people. We went and spent the night with the Uros people. So basically, we arrived uh, after a 10-hour train ride, we arrived at night at Lake Titicaca, took a, a really like questionable boat uh, into the lake for like 15, 20 minutes, into this giant lake. Uh, and, and then we, we, went, we went to one of the little islands. They are man-made islands made out of, out of Lake Reed. And the, the island is basically alive. The, the, basically, every two weeks, uh, the, 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 the uh, natives... Uh, go and, and grab a, a boatload of, of, literally a boatload of, of reed and, and rebuild the island. Otherwise, it'll eventually sink. Uh, so anyway, they've been living this way for hundreds of years, and it, it was really an amazing experience. Uh, it was very cold overnight. It was very uncomfortable. Uh, it was quite an adventure. Uh, we'll include some of, some of the pictures with, 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 uh, with, with, with the show notes. I fell in love with the llamas all over Peru. Uh, and my very favorite picture, I'll, I'll include my very favorite picture. I'm taking a selfie with a llama. Uh, and, and it's, so it's the picture, my girlfriend took it. So it's, it's from behind. And you can see me taking a picture with the llama. And the llama's totally posing for the picture. It's really funny. Um, so, so, so anyway, that's, that's all we have this week. Uh, thank, thank you guys for, for joining me and, and, and uh, for this wonderful conversation. Uh, Thank you very much, and uh, join us next week for both Profiles and Risk, uh, our interview podcast, and for the attachment points. Okay, guys. See you next Thanks, time. Thanks, Tony. Andrew, Thanks. thank you. Yeah, you bet. Come along if you know what happiness is to you. 